Let me uh, encourage you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19, uh, sorry, Luke chapter 17, and we read from verse 11 through 19. Luke 17, reading from verse 11, now Jesus uh, on His way to Jerusalem traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As He was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met Him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have mercy or pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. And they went. As they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, if you are a collector of uh, newspaper headlines, then one that you will be very familiar with Uh, reads, failure to make an appropriate response. Uh, The finger is pointed at uh, governments, organizations, individuals, and all of these accusations carry varying degrees of seriousness. Uh, But for Luke, the greatest imaginable failure is an inappropriate response to the matchless mercy of God. Mercy is the ready response of God towards helplessness and need. It's love in action. It's the the practical outworking of compassion. And so, perhaps it shouldn't come as any surprise to us that when Scripture tells us the attribute in which God takes a particular delight is mercy, uh, that should be no surprise. From the very beginning of Luke's gospel, his rigorously researched gospel, this theme is unpacked the mercy of God. Consult the birth narratives and you'll find that both Mary and Zechariah voice hymns of praise because mercy is breaking into our world in the person of Jesus the Savior. In Luke 19, Jesus unpacks the nature of His mission, saying, I've come into the world to seek and to save those who are lost. It's a mercy mission. Mercy is not an abstract quality. 
it is a saving act, climaxing on the cross. But it's interesting as we read through the gospel, for en route, Luke provides us with window incidents, vistas of mercy that are designed to fill out our understanding of Jesus' saving work. And the encounter with these ten lepers is one such vista uh, or window incident. And the time reference that we have here in verse 11 now, on his way to Jerusalem, is Luke's reminder that we mustn't divorce this incident with what Jesus would accomplish by his death in Jerusalem. And as we look at these verses, I want you to notice first uh, that there is a mutual misery. Here are ten men living on the very margins of society because they had to. They were lepers. Their disease not only created a stigma in the way that perhaps AIDS does today, it ostracized them from their community. They'd been served, if you like, with an exclusion order, driven from outside of the city limits. And estrangement such as that invariably causes even psychological damage. It robs men of their dignity and their self-worth. We are shunned. And I suspect that a fusillade of accusing fingers and a salvo of wagging tongues exacerbated their condition. You must have been really wicked, really, really wicked for God to allow such a destructive disease to ravage your lives. Under other circumstances, I'm sure these ten men may well have had very little in common, but shared misery Shared misery binds folk together in their quest for mutual sympathy and understanding. And their misery, like this disease, was not something that was easily hidden. Secondly, notice they were obliged to face up, face up to the destructive nature of their disease. Many people, you know, are able to hide their pressing needs. They enter a, a denial phase. I'm fine. I'm perfectly fine. How are you? I'm fine. Some needs are more easily hidden in the early stages of their development, more easily than others. Ask the closet alcoholic, Ask the couple who have a strained marriage relationship. Ask the computer pornographer. People will try to convince themselves that these things aren't as bad as they seem. They're, they're just minor inconveniences, you know. Things with which we can easily live 
these lepers were well beyond the denial stage. But you see, it is until that recognition comes, men will do nothing, nothing at all about seeking a cure. Thirdly, notice the men share a mutual determination to secure Jesus' help. Were they impressed by the testimony of a former leper? Uh, I would like to think that the leper back in chapter 5, whom Jesus cured, uh, began, if you like, a, a little mission. I'm the evangelist to lepers. I'll tell them what Jesus can do. Wishful thinking, perhaps. But you see, our personal testimony can have a greater impact on the lives of others than we realize. Well, we don't know how they were pointed in the right direction. What, ha what matters is that they had the good sense to bring their need to Jesus. And I'm sure even the most irreligious of them could, uh, could be swayed by the argument, what do we have to lose? Give it a go. Did their suffering act as God's megaphone to gain their attention? You'll know that C.S. Lewis has gone to great lengths to demonstrate that our suffering can do precisely that. But here, in order to gain Jesus' attention, interestingly, the Greek Luke uses to describe their cry out in verse 13 uses the very expression from which our word megaphone comes. They megaphoned their message to Jesus. This is no embarrassed whisper, Jesus, help us. This is a brazen cry for mercy. Clearly, noise pollution was not an issue that concerned them. These men were in desperate need, and they cry out to Jesus. Now, there is no record in the Gospels of anyone, anyone, crying out to Jesus for mercy just to find themselves ignored. And that should encourage each one of us here this morning. Don't sit there and say, oh, my case is different. Jesus would deny me mercy. Jesus will hear you. Notice in verse 14, Luke says, Jesus reacted to what he saw. You may be thinking this morning, no one can understand the complexity of my situation. No one can really grasp how I'm feeling. No one can appreciate my brokenness or fathom the deepest longings of my heart. Well, Jesus can. He sees into the very depths of your being. He sees your need more completely than you do. And he saw more than the physical and psychological needs of these men. He saw their spiritual need, the sight of their helplessness, 
their desperate need drew out his compassion. And his initial response, notice, was to tell them to go and show themselves to the temple priests. That's what lepers who believed themselves healed were obliged to do. In that day, they had to make a visit to the public health inspector, the priest, in order to get their card stamped healthy enough to return to normal society. Now, all ten men obeyed, and as they obeyed the command of Jesus, as they went forward, if you like, in faith, the blessing they longed for took place. Can you imagine their reaction as they examined one another? Your skin is clear. Hey, I'm beginning to feel sharpness in my feet going over these stones. Haven't felt that for a long time. This was, this was a glorious new day in their experience. And nine of these men increased their pace towards the temple. Let's get the stamp. But only nine. It's now that we see the similarities that had previously bound these men together begin to unravel. There is a, a discernible dissimilarity. Only one is found praising God, and he returns to fall in gratitude at Jesus' feet. From this point on, the lives of the ten men were going to head in two quite different directions. Previously, their experience had been exactly the same. What had happened? In verse 15, Luke draws our attention to the difference between seeing and not seeing. Seeing in such a way that the penny drops. Now, several Greek words can be translated as seeing, and the one Luke uses here means to see with understanding. For the Samaritan, the penny had dropped. This is the great distinctive between the nine and the Samaritan, only one saw himself as truly the object of God's mercy. Mercy is something to which we have no moral right or legal entitlement. It's the undeserved response of one to the predicament of another. Remember the communal request of the lepers in verse 13 have mercy or have pity on us. It suggests, does it not, that they are all humble supplicants who recognize their need of mercy. But their response, after being cured, seriously challenges that assumption. 
However else they understood their cure, nine out of ten clearly did not see this as God's glorious and merciful provision for them. When men have the great desire of their hearts satisfied, you know, they often view it as no more than their right. After all, these lepers had been forced out of their homes and their communities. They'd been reduced to beggar status, treated as the refuse of society. Surely God owed them. They'd been dealt a raw deal. People often hold God responsible for all the hardships they experience. And if God answers their heart cry for help, Well, he's simply putting things right. He's making right mistakes that he has made. I deserve this. Or perhaps they felt that they were Jews, and that's no more than an assumption. The text doesn't tell us precisely how many were Jews and how many weren't. But many of them would have been Jews, and perhaps assuming as the privileged people of God, healing was something they deserved because of who we are. Sadly, many church people think like that. After years of loyalty to God, years of church service, years of Bible reading and praying, blessing is surely my desert. What a misunderstanding of privilege uh, that is. Surely these Jews should have led the way in worship, set an example, tutored the Samaritan. Notice Jesus' disappointment And I'm sure there's disappointment here in verses 17 and 18. We're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except for this foreigner? Where are the cured Jews? Why aren't they here? This non-response of the nine is but the outer ripple of Israel's historic response to God's mercy, a response that is poignantly captured in Isaiah 5 and verse 4, where God speaks to His people as a vineyard, and says, what more could have been done for my vineyard, Israel, than I have done when I looked for good grapes? Why did it yield only bad? What more could I have done? I've done everything. Israel failed to produce an appropriate response to God, as did these nine lepers cleansed, healed. The despised Samaritan's response reinforces Luke's insider-outsider theme that we find throughout this gospel. 
those popularly considered to be on the outside of the kingdom, like despised Samaritans, quizzling tax collectors, women of ill repute, when made conscious of God's mercy, are found to bring appropriate responses of worship and are viewed by Jesus, treated by Jesus as being on the inside. But those who thought themselves to be on the inside, and in particular, the religious establishment, show by their response to Jesus that in fact they remain on the outside. It was a shattering revelation to many in the crowd when Jesus said of Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house because this man is a son of Abraham. Jesus is saying to the crowd, my ministry defies your exclusion order. It defies it. He is one of the lost that I have come to save. You see, It's not a person's background, no matter how sinful that background might be, but their response to the mercy of God, which has its focus in the person of Christ that is key. Men bound together, men driven apart. Finally, think of the man who is the willing worshiper. Of the ten lepers, only one saw himself to be the object of God's singular mercy. His transformation was totally undeserved. And grasping something of the significance of that rearranged the priorities of his life. He wasn't dragged by force, but driven by love to the feet of Jesus, responding to the mercy that he had known. Surely he was as anxious as the others to be reintegrated with society. Oh, yes. But a greater priority is now pressing in upon his consciousness. He was a debtor to God's mercy, and he just couldn't contain the gratitude that was welling up in his heart. Previously, you will remember the ten lepers had identified Jesus as master. Master, have mercy on us. Master, have pity on us. But he alone puts meaning into that expression now by prostrating himself as a willing bond slave before the feet of Jesus. The other nine seem to have viewed Jesus as a, as a servant to cater for their needs. The Samaritan saw him as a gracious master who alone 
was worthy of worship. Uh, this is not uh, an advert for the men's reading group, but the little book that we're reading through just now, uh, Schugel's Life of God and the Soul of Man, uh, holds uh, this phrase or expression, that the unlimited submissions which would debase the soul if directed to any other will exalt and ennoble it when placed before Christ. These chains and cords of love are infinitely more glorious than liberty itself. This slavery is nobler than all the empires in the world. He could have been describing this Samaritan bowed as a bond slave before the feet of Jesus, his master. And notice it is while bowed at Jesus' feet that the Samaritan becomes aware of a greater blessing than physical healing. Verse 19, Jesus, the great high priest, trumps what any temple priest was qualified to say. He says to this man, rise up, your faith has made you well. And the word translated well there carries the idea of spiritual wholeness, of salvation. The removal of his leprosy was one thing, but the removal of his sin, that was a significantly greater mercy. Did the Samaritan grasp the full significance of Jesus' words? I don't know. Leprosy had separated him from society, making him a social outcast, but his sin had served upon him a far more dreadful exclusion order, separated from the presence of a holy God. And now, now, marvelously, that exclusion order has been lifted by Jesus. I wonder if you see how this incident serves to fill out our understanding of Jesus as the Lord of mercy. The psalmist surely has uh, the cross in mind. Is that possible to say that? When in Psalm 85, he says, mercy and justice kissed each other. God cannot be merciful to sinful man without satisfying the demands of his justice. A truth, you'll remember, that was graphically portrayed on the Day of Atonement. Two goats were selected. One goat was sacrificed over the head of the second goat. The, the nation, Israel's sin was confessed. And then that goat was served with an exclusion order. It was driven from the camp into the wilderness. And so atonement was shown to involve both a substitutionary sacrifice and a terrifying separation. And both of those pictures find their fulfillment on the cross. 
Jesus was the substitutionary sacrifice bearing his people's punishment while also experiencing the awful exclusion which sin generates. He was our scapegoat. Dare we say, he was the supreme leper who was driven out, out of the very presence, the comfortable fellowship that had been his in the Godhead. The the intimacy, think of it, the intimacy he'd always enjoyed with the Father was replaced with a, a dreadful sense of alienation. Friends, this is no theological figment. Recall the cry of dereliction on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Lord Jesus experienced the the dreadful separation that his people deserve to experience. To paraphrase Calvin, Christ endured our hell that we might experience his heaven. You see, he became the accursed man outside that we might be welcomed right into the family of God. What response do the mercies of God generate in our hearts? You know, it's possible to be a church attender without being a worshiper. It's possible for us, like the nine lepers, to separate the gifts from the giver, to revel in the material blessings that surround our lives and yet fall short of worshiping at Jesus' feet. We can rest secure in our church involvement, our religious activities, in the belief even that somehow our past hardships secure for us the blessing of God. Friends, such security is misplaced. It is sadly possible to think of ourselves as insiders while remaining outside of the kingdom. I wonder, does this, this window incident humble our hearts and bring us to the feet of Jesus? Or do we remain at a distance, as did the nine lepers, with the words of God echoing down through history, What more could I have done for you than I have done? Look to the cross. I've done it all. There's no more that can be done. Perhaps this morning someone is thinking, well, there was a day in the past when I responded by falling down before the feet of Jesus. 
but then almost imperceptibly, my heart became cold and my worship inconstant. It's as though I'm living in spiritual exile. If so, then allow the wonder of the mercies of God as they find their climax upon the cross to reignite your heart and give momentum to your worship. Determine not to stand afar off, but come in repentance. Call out to the Lord of mercy. He will hear you. Fall afresh at the feet of Jesus who went to such lengths to bring you inside. And then a new headline can be written in heaven. This brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we gladly bow before the feet of the Lord of mercy, the one who has gone to such great lengths at such cost to himself, to bring the accursed outsider inside, to deal with the sin that estranges us, to lavish your kindness and your love upon us. How can we fail this morning to acknowledge that we are debtors to mercy alone. By your Spirit, seal your word in all our hearts. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Another part of our response is to glorify God now in uh, song and thanksgiving. We're going to sing, stand together and sing how deep the Father's love for us.